welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show, we have Aaron Lyons, who is the founder and CEO of Dish Society, which was one of the first farm-to-table restaurants in Houston, Texas. He is also a board member at D10, which is a charity that has raised over $12 million for cancer research. Thanks so much for joining us today, Aaron. Thanks for having me. I'm going to start us off with a talk that you actually gave to Rice MBA students where you discussed the unsexy part of being an entrepreneur. Can you start by giving us maybe a quick overview of your entrepreneurial journey? And then I kind of want to dive into that unsexy description you utilized. Yeah, sure. So the talk was um, to a class of um, entrepreneurial MBA students taking a class um, very similar to the one that I actually wrote the business plan for Dish Society in when I was getting my MBA at UT. And um, so I was, you know, basically sitting in their, their seats, you know, almost 10 years ago, so I could relate. And uh, my journey started uh, just very quickly. I, I created, I'd never, I don't have any, I didn't have any restaurant, prior restaurant experience really. And you know, the, the, the idea came out of just the inability to kind of find um, what I wanted on a regular basis. And that was basically just approachable, um, you know, good, fresh, chef-driven, farm-to-table food in a unpretentious um, but cool kind of environment, a place you could go two or three times a week um, that wasn't going, you know, you didn't have to pay for valet and you didn't have to, um, you know, spend an order amount of money just for, you know, basic stuff. And so um, that was kind of the, the concept. Um, and when I was getting my um, MBA, I wrote the business plan for it. I did a bunch of research. I started raising money and uh, started, you know, negotiating with real estate developers and um, kind of hit the wall in Austin and wasn't able to really get traction there. And so started looking in uh, Houston and Dallas and then uh, ended up ultimately coming to Houston and, and doing that. And so what I told them was, you know, the unsexy part is, and, and I learned a lot about this when I was going through the journey. Um, and one of my business school professors uh, referred to it as startup porn. And, you know, you only really read and hear about the successes, you know, the unicorns and the, um, the companies that have raised a bunch of money and that are, you know, doing uh, very, very well and getting a lot of traction and, you know, huge multiples and exits and you know, all this stuff. And you don't, you don't really ever hear about the, you know, thousands of failures that are sort of in that wake of every success. Um, and so it's a little misleading, right, uh, to people. And so they get into it thinking that it's going to be easy and thinking that it's going to be, um, you know, uh, fun and all of these things. And, and, and some of that is true. It is, it is fun. Um, it can be, uh, but it's very challenging. And I think, you know, what I was telling the, the, the students in particular is like in business school, there's a lot of focus on venture capital deals and, you know, pitching in this boardroom with this PowerPoint deck and, you know, uh, you know, Sand Hill Road and sort of all of these things. And, and in reality, it's like, you know, 1% of less than 1% of deals, I think are venture funded. So why do we spend so much time focusing on that? Right. Um, and I, you know, I told him the reality is you're going to be grinding it out. You're going to be having beers with uh, random people at the bar, pitching your idea. You're going to be meeting at Starbucks. You're going to be going over to people's houses. You're going to be um, on a boat, wherever. And, and these are all, these are all, by the way, uh, personal experiences. Um, and, and that's how it gets done. And, and that's how you, that's how you get money is through connections and through networking and grinding it out. And there's no silver bullet and there's no, um, 
you know, real like formula. And so I was just kind of telling them that they, they have to be willing to sacrifice their lifestyle and sacrifice, um, you know, bachelor parties and weddings and vacations and, you know, uh, trips and new cars and all of these things that, that, you know, their friends are going to be doing, their peers are going to be doing when they come out of business school, they're going to have to sacrifice those things because they're not going to be able to do them and start a company at the same time. And it was, for me, it was just really painting a real picture for them of what it's like. It's not glamorous. It's not sexy. It's, you know, it's hours and days and months and years of just, of just a grind of just slogging it out. Um, you know, until you, you start to, you know, start to get some traction and start making it. And so that was it, you know, cause I just, you see a lot of sort of the, what you think are overnight successes and what you don't see is the 10 years that led up to that, that moment. And so that's what I was, I was really spending a lot of time talking about that. What do you think has made your organization successful? You talked in the discussion that you gave to those students, you mentioned expectations versus reality. You talked a little about what people's expectations are. What has the reality been? You all have been successful in a very competitive industry. What do you think has made that come to fruition for you and your organization? You know, honestly, I think, um, not having restaurant experience <laughs> probably uh, helped me a lot. I had no preconceived notions going into this and I treated it just like any other entrepreneurial startup or venture. And, um, you know, I've always run it like a business. I've always run it as if we have a hundred units or we were going to have a hundred units. Um, and that, because that was always my goal. My goal was never to start one restaurant. And so, you know, if you kind of go into something thinking really small, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, there's exceptions, obviously, but, you know, for the most part, I went into this making decisions that were long-term, knowing that, um, you know, if we were facing a decision with one restaurant and, you know, I would always ask myself, will this scale? Will this still be relevant if we have 10 restaurants or 20 restaurants? Does this make sense? And if the answer was no, then we didn't usually do it. The answer was yes, we did. Now, we, we couldn't always afford to do some of those things that early on. Um, but having that mindset, that growth mindset, um, I think really helped us. And then, and then just looking at things from a business perspective and being smart and, and taking calculated risks, um, I think really has, has led to a lot of our success. I think our focus, obviously, on culture and core values and leadership development as well, because that's not something you see a whole lot of in the restaurant in industry. Um, so I think those have been the, the major you know, points, just taking a lot of the learnings that I've had from previous experiences and companies and roles and cultures and uh, sort of blending them all together. Well, I definitely want to get into the leadership development um, efforts that you guys have made, because that was a real fascinating part when I learned a little bit more about your organization. But before that, on a personal note, how do you think you've changed as a leader? When you look back a year, two or more ago, how do you think you've evolved as a leader? Oh, man, uh, that's a great question. I, I if I start back in 2014, which is when we opened our first location, I would say going into that, I think my ego and my own self-awareness, um, or lack thereof, I would say probably thought, you know, I thought I was better than I was. Um, and then when you're, you know, when you're thrust into a situation where you're managing 40 people overnight, essentially, um, and, you know, your business is losing money and your investors are, 
you know, you have to, you have investors to answer to, and you have landlords now, and you have all of these things kind of happening at once. Oh, and your wife is pregnant and expecting any month, you know, and sort of all these things are, are sitting on top of you. Um, you know, for me, I, uh, didn't handle it well. Uh, I sort of started resenting people, lashing out, blaming, taking, um, taking all my frustrations out on other people. And, you know, ultimately there just became a moment. There was this, this sort of critical moment where I didn't enjoy walking into my restaurant and I didn't, it wasn't that I necessarily didn't like the people. I resented them for reasons that weren't really their fault. And it was because we didn't set them up for success. We were failing them. They weren't failing us. And once I sort of realized that and realized that, look, you know, your environment, your environment is a product of, of, of your leadership. Right. And so it's, it's, you're looking at yourself in the mirror essentially. And if you don't like what you see, you need to change yourself. And that's kind of the realization that I came to, uh, it was kind of that rock bottom moment where I said, you know, this is ridiculous. I'm following my dream. I'm following my passion. I have a restaurant. It's, it's successful. There's a lot of people in here. We're getting great, great press. I should be enjoying this why am I so angry and upset and frustrated all the time? Um, and that's when I really started to do a lot of self-reflection and got a leadership coach and really started to go down that path of discovery, self-discovery and, you know, finding out what, why I was so, you know, angry all the time and frustrated and how to channel that better and uh, how to inspire people and, you know, sort of a lot of those things. And, and that was the journey for me. And, and ever since it's just gotten, um, you know, the, the trajectory it's, it's ultimately, it's never ending, right? You're, you're climbing this mountain that, 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 that doesn't have a top, but you, you, you keep, you know, progressing. Um, and there's been moments of, of regression for sure, uh, for me. And there's been, um, you know, lapses and, and things like that. And, but, you know, sometimes you take a step back to take three steps forward. And so that's kind of been my journey. It's not a, a linear, you know, 45 degree, you know, trajectory. It's like a more like kind of a roller coaster that kind of, you know, goes up. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I made a lot of strides and I've, I've become more patient and um, more humble and more trustworthy and more uh, vulnerable and a lot of those things. And uh, I think some of it had to do with having children um, throughout this journey as well. Um, sort of forcing me to slow down in some instances and being grateful and uh, being more patient and sort of reprioritizing things a little bit as well. So I think it's kind of a combination of all of that. You hit on a lot of things there about your personal journey, which I really find fascinating to hear how much you've had to evolve and how much the industry and the experiences has, has evolved you along the way. You also talked a little bit about developing the leaders of tomorrow at your organization. So I guess a two-part question, what are you looking for in future leaders and how do you now get them there? Yeah, I mean, we look for people who aren't afraid to take risks and fail. And, um, you know, people, as long as their sort of intentions are, are pure in that they, they want to advance themselves or advance the business, you know, we're okay with, with making mistakes. Um, we look for people who um, are actively searching for coaching and they don't take feedback personally. There's a lot of people that can't really handle a um, difficult conversation. Um, or a conversation in which you're providing feedback. You know, even sometimes if it's good feedback, a lot of times people, you know, don't often internalize that the right way. But, um, 
it's a matter of, of, of that. It's how they interact with their peers. It's how they interact with our guest. Um, there's sort of a grit factor that's hard to measure, but that you can just sort of see once you've been around somebody for a decent amount of time. Um, you know, are they, do they have that mindset? Do they want to get better every single day? Are they looking for opportunities to solve problems or are they just complaining? Um, you know, there's a, there's a multitude of things, uh, but most of it is, is sort of, do they, do they want it, you know? And, and, and then do they sort of kind of have the commit level of commitment it takes to get there? Um, and, and so those, those are the main things that, that we look at. And sometimes we notice that, um, in people before they notice it in themselves. And sometimes people raise their hands and say that I want this. And, and we start to kind of look at them under that lens as well. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about COVID-19. It's been disruptive to many industries and maybe no more so than the hospitality industry. One of the things that I noticed that your organization is doing are these virtual farmers markets. And you guys have taken some other steps and you discussed it in a, in a video that your organization published. Can you talk a little bit about what you guys have done and, and how you're responding to this really unprecedented challenge? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, we were we were sort of going into it in early March, anticipating some type of shutdown, anticipating um, a, a pretty large disruption. Um, so when the announcement came that we had to shut down dining rooms, it wasn't it didn't catch us. We, we weren't caught flat footed or anything. We were sort of already had a plan in place. Um, and, you know, fortunately, our brand, our concept is positioned very well to uh, sort of with withstand this disruption. Um, we've, we've always been very focused on off-premise dining and sales. Um, we've always uh, sort of our customer and our sweet spot, our, our price point is, is very much aligned with sort of what the consumer wants right now. So we're very fortunate in that regard that we were positioned well to take advantage of some of these opportunities. Our concept in, in, is unique in a sense that we um, do try to source as much as we can locally. And, you know, we, we knew when our sales fell 75%, you know, in March, um, we didn't know how long that was going to last. And we saw our local partners, um, you know, we call them our local heroes. These are the farmers and the ranchers and the, the beekeepers and, you know, the bread makers and all these people that um, th this is their livelihood, you know, and, and I knew that if our sales fell that much and, and I knew we weren't ordering a lot from them anymore, uh, you know, there's, there's a wake, right? And people talk about the restaurant industry. It's not just the restaurants, it's the employees, it's the partners, it's the vendors, it's the people that rely on the restaurants, it's the cleaning services, it's the valet services. It's, it's the wake is massive, right? The domino effect is huge. Um, and so we started to look for ways that we could support our partners. And you know, we came up with this idea of this virtual farmer's market. Um, which was just a way for, and at the time people didn't really want to go to grocery stores and they, they were trying to avoid things. And so luckily with our kind of platform and our, our online ordering system, we were able to um, offer our products, whether it was a gallon of milk or a dozen of eggs or a pound of bacon or a box of locally picked produce from that, that we, you know, you would able, you were able to get it all delivered for seven bucks, or you could just pull up and we would put it in your trunk for you. And, you know, you could tack on some food to it as well if you wanted, but um, that's, that was really the, the impetus behind it. And it just kind of really caught fire and, and grew and was, was wildly popular. Um, and it has since sort of, you know, dwindled down a little bit as people 
I've gotten used to going to, to grocery stores and there's not really as much of a stigma around that anymore. Um, and so we're, we, we still like it. Uh, we still want to continue to offer it. We're going to make some uh, adjustments um, just through data that we've collected and just market research um, from, from our customers that are using it. We're going to make some tweaks to it to make it a little bit more efficient and um, you know, certainly meet our guests more where they are now versus where they were a couple months ago. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, that was just an effort we did to, to, um, you know, keep our partners uh, healthy financially, as well as, you know, the sales from that allowed us to keep more members, team members staffed. So we were able to pay more people and have more people employed and, and keep more people, you know, busy. And, um, you know, it was a great community thing as well, brought us closer to our community. Well, that definitely was evident in the video and evident in what I've read about that and the other initiatives that you guys went forward with. One of the questions that we get from a lot of listeners, and I think it's definitely prescient for your industry, is what do we on the outside not understand about the restaurant industry? Or for you, somebody who didn't have a restaurant background before you went down on this path, what was the most shocking thing that we just don't understand if, if all our experiences with the restaurant industry is just enjoying the great food and, and that part of the experience? I'm really glad you asked that question because it, it needs to be talked about. And I, I think some of the discussions have surfaced around this COVID-19 thing where you know, the industry is, is kind of being exposed in a way I think that's more obvious to the end consumer. Um, and, and that is, it's, it's messed up. It is not a fair industry. It is messed up. It's been messed up for a really long time. And it's almost like in this cycle that needs to be broken. Um, but everybody's underpaid, overworked. Um, you know, the customer demands, I think, um, you know, look, they, they don't expect us to spend more than X on a salad. Okay. So you, in order to get customers, you basically have to sell that salad for X, right. Or add some type of value that allows you to charge more, um, which that would come out of additional cost to you as well. Um, and so, you know, basically you have a, a large group of consumers who expect, you know, four seasons service with McDonald's prices, um, and you know that doesn't work and the industry is is broken it's messed up you've got um all these real estate developers and these larger brands that have gotten this massive influx of private equity funding or whatever and they're signing all these leases and you know they're driving up rents for for everyone else and and sort of the you know the rent market is um i think very inflated right now for for restaurants which makes it really difficult the labor market is a joke. I mean, everybody's underpaid in the industry and, and it's super sad to see. I mean, you got people working two jobs, two full-time jobs and we're going 80 hours a week. Right. Um, and, and you look at what these people are taking home and it's just not, it's not right. And so how do you combat that? Well, you can raise your prices. Well, then your sales go down, you know, theoretically, or people sort of lash out at your being too expensive or doing this just because they don't understand. They just don't have really a point of reference. And, you know, everybody wants, you know, the minimum wage to be $15. Everybody wants, you know, equality and healthcare and all this stuff, but nobody's willing to pay for it. And that's the biggest problem. And it's, that's most prevalent, I think, in the restaurant industry. Um, so, you know, you have people that go to culinary school and spend, you know, 30, 40, $50,000 in, in student loans to go to culinary school and they come out and they make 13 bucks an hour, 15 bucks an hour. Wow. Right. Maybe they get insurance. Maybe they don't. I mean, that's, that's a joke. Like that is embarrassing as an industry but we just continue to tolerate it. And, 
um, it's hard. And so the biggest lesson that I wish people would sort of take away with it from this is how fragile the industry is and how a couple of bad weeks can sink, sink the ship. I mean, literally. Um, and there's a lot of really great people in this industry uh, that work really, really hard. And I feel like the consumer has become so entitled um, from a service perspective to uh, just expectations in general from pricing and everything. And then with Yelp and social media, anybody can get on there and, you know, be a hero and, you know, do a lot of damage. And, um, you know, I, I am seeing there's a lot more sort of appreciative, uh, you know, there's a lot more gratitude from a, from a guest perspective now. I think people are more patient, they're more understanding. I think it was kind of a wake up call to them. Um, and quite frankly, it needed to be, and there needs to be more, you know, if I'm being honest, um, I just, I, I wish we could do more, but in order to do that, the consumer has to give as well. Right. And so it's, it's just a balance. That's what I would like people to know is that, um, you know, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot bigger problem than what people realize. Well, I really appreciate your transparency and a lot of what comes out um, when you look at the work that your organization is doing is a commitment to the community, commitment to your employees. I want to close with a question before we get into our final two questions. What are you the most proud of about what your organization has done over the years? I think I'm most proud of our ability to grow and adapt and just continue to roll with the punches. And, and that hasn't, I mean, that's been the most prevalent over the last four months. Um, I'm proud of, you know, that we've built the team of people who are um, rising to the occasion and they're not, you know, huddled up, you know, in a, in a fetal position on their couch. You know, there's people that are stepping up, you know, we've been through, um, you know, we're in Houston. So, you know, a lot of the economy here is driven by oil prices. We've been through major oil slumps and recessions. We've been through um, major hurricanes, right? And um, now this pandemic and, you know, I think just the resiliency that our team um, demonstrates is, is, the, is probably what I'm the most proud of um, because we wouldn't be able to do anything with, without that. We would not have been able to prevail uh, from those things. So um, that that's what I would be most proud of for sure. Well, resiliency and rolling with the punches is a great spot to end the conversation and shift to our final two rapid fire questions that we ask all guests. And question number one is this, Aaron, if you could describe your leadership style in one word, what would it be? Constantly evolving. Um, uh, you know, I would just say always, always trying to, to learn more and, and be better and um, trying to be more compassionate and more vulnerable and, you know, adapt my style based on the needs of the person in the situation. And the final rapid fire question is this, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Oh, uh, that's a good one. Um, you know, one thing that I, I, I use regularly is, you know, because I do have to have, you know, difficult conversations and, and just provide feedback and accountability, I think is so huge when you're developing an organization is, you know, when you're talking with somebody, how do you want that person to feel when they leave the conversation? And I've always, that's always sort of stuck to me that that was from a, or my leadership coach. That was one of the first things that he talked to me because I was uh, very confrontational and, and I wasn't, what I was saying was correct. The intention was, was there, but the delivery was flawed. And so people weren't receiving the message. And so you know, asking yourself how you want to be seen 
by that person and how you want them to feel after you have an interaction with that person before you go into that interaction will help you um, deliver the message, I think, in a way that, that is, is more re well received. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Aaron. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Um, DishSocieties.com website at Dish Society on all the social media stuff. Um, you know, I'm I personally I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram and Twitter, uh, Facebook, and all of those things. And it's just uh, you know Aaron Lyons, um, and uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not super difficult to find, but I'm not not I'm not overly active on a lot of those platforms either. But um, I do enjoy sort of um, getting bits and pieces from, from, from things and just interacting with people. Well, thank you very much. And thank you to all of our great guests for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer. You can find our show on Instagram at Learn to Lead Podcast. And you can find our organization Ability at Ability.com. Be sure to subscribe so that you get our next episode. And I want to thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast.